right, hey, welcome to Liquid, everybody. Great to see you guys. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're here for the grand finale of our series, Seven Churches of Revelation. Today is part seven of our series seven. And before we dive in, can we give a big old welcome to all our campuses joining us all around the state? Glad you guys are with us. If you're on Church Online, glad you're joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Uh, I know I have. In fact, uh, last week I had the chance to kind of drop in on one of the small groups who are meeting in Bernardsville, just enjoy some, some food and some fellowship, discussion with the group. And uh, if you've been in a small group, I hope this has been an awesome experience for you. Uh, hopefully you have made some new friends, you've, you've dived deep into scripture, learned more about Jesus, made decisions to grow in your faith. And uh, this week we have a surprise for your group. It's going to really be really special. Your groups are going to partake of communion together. We're going to receive communion in our small groups to kind of culminate our study. And leaders, uh, we're going to supply you with the communion cups and everything. So make sure you pick those up from your group's coordinators. We'll send you instructions. But that's really something special to look forward to. Um, but we also don't want your groups to end after this series ends uh, this Sunday because we have a lot going on. And group members, you really have two choices. Our hope is that you'll continue meeting with your small group. We actually provide sermon guides every week. Every Sunday for every sermon, we provide group guides. And, uh, and we hope that you'll continue meeting this spring. But secondly, if you're in a group and you're like, you know, maybe I'm ready for a change, I just want to make sure you know you have permission to try a new group this spring. At Liquid, our small group's run on a semester schedule, so that means every four months, it's totally okay if you're like, hey, I want to try a, a different group or find one that's a better fit for you, just so you know, like, your group leaders are not going to get offended, like, oh, you're leaving our group. It's not like that, okay? No guilt. Faith is a journey, not a guilt trip, so there's no harm, no foul. Just talk to the group coordinator at your campus. We'll make sure we, we find one that fits you and your schedule and your season of life. Um, but if you miss our seven group experience, also just encourage you, join a group this spring. Get in on the fun. Small groups at our church are really how we make a, a big church like Liquid feel small. It's how we grow deep in our relationship with Christ and with each other. Now, this has been kind of an epic journey, a road trip for our church. We've been on the road for six weeks traveling through modern-day Turkey. That's where all the churches are located here in Revelation. This is Asia Minor. And today, we arrive at city number seven. But before we open that letter, I want to review where we've been. We have traveled to Ephesus. That's where our journey started. The forgetful church who lost their first love for Christ. Then we went to Smyrna. That was the suffering church. This was a church of persecuted Christians who were suffering for their faith in Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, hold on, guys. And from there, we went to Pergamum, the compromising church. They actually weren't suffering. They just kind of welcomed the world in, and they compromised. This was a church full of chameleon Christians who just kind of blended in with the culture. And then we went to Thyatira, which is the tolerant church. So they not only tolerated sin, they actually celebrated it. They said, hey, you could be a Christian and just live any which way you want, which is not the truth. Sardis was the slumbering church. This is all kind of a slippery slope. It was full of sleepy Christians. And Jesus was like, hey, wake up. And then last week, Pastor Nathan took us to Philadelphia, the enduring church, which really, when you think about this, out of these seven churches, there were only two churches who received no correction from Jesus. There were only two churches who all they got was praise and encouragement from Christ. Philadelphia and Smyrna. Those were the suffering, persecuted churches who just receive encouragement from Christ. But today, we end up at city number seven. We're going to read the letter to the church at Laodicea. Can you say that? 
Laodicea. It's the lukewarm church. I'm on page 41 of your groups guide if you want to turn there. But I need to give you a little history to understand this, this closing letter. Uh, Laodicea was one of three cities that actually were located on the Lycus River there in Turkey. And you need to know really four historical details to understand what you're about to read. These are four details that you need to understand the church of Laodicea. See, the city of Laodicea was known for four things. The first thing was its wealth. This was an extremely rich city. This was a very prosperous banking center. I want you to think of kind of like Zurich, okay? It was located at the crossroads of several trade routes. And so Laodicea was very, very rich. So everybody remember wealth. The second thing I want you to remember is health. I'm going to show you a little medicine bottle there, okay? It wasn't just a, a city of wealth. It was actually a center for health. It had a school of medicine. And so Laodicea had people come in from all over the region to be treated for different diseases, specifically actually eye disease. They would help people see better. So remember health and medicine. Third thing I want you to remember is wealth, health, and actually wool, specifically black wool. Laodicea was famous for its soft, silky black wool. In fact, the upper, they had these, these special sheep that actually had the shiny, silky wool. And so the rich people of the town all wore black. It's just like Brooklyn hipsters, okay? It was like, you know, it's kind of, that's how we're cool. So remember black wool clothes. And then finally, Laodicea was known for its water, specifically its drinking water, which was polluted. Even though it was located on a river, the river was toxic. The water was actually polluted. You couldn't drink it. And so the people of Laodicea had to pipe in their water from neighboring towns. They actually brought cold water in from Colossae and, and hot water in from, from Heropolis through a Roman aqueduct, okay? So the major weakness of Laodicea was its drinking water. I want you to remember that, okay? Wealth, health, wool, and water. Four details that are gonna help you decode Christ's letter to Laodicea, all right? Ready? Here we go. Let's open our Bibles. We'll read Revelation 3. I'm starting here at verse 14. Jesus says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So this is the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ speaking to his church. And he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither, let's read the words in bold out loud, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are, what's the word? Lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now let's just stop here. See if you can connect the dots from what Jesus is saying to one of these four details. Which one? Is it wealth, health, wool, or water. You got it. So Jesus goes right for their soft spot because Laodicea was known for their polluted water supply. And like I said, the Romans built an aqueduct piping in the drinking water. In fact, let me show you a fascinating picture. This is from an archaeological. If you went there today, this is what you take a picture of. These are the remains of the Roman aqueduct. It actually piped hot water in from Heropolis. That was a city about five miles south. So it had a long way to travel the hot water. They had hot mineral springs. It was known for its healing properties and it was safe to drink. So hot water came from Heropolis. And then look at this. The cold water came from Colossae. There was a, a mountain there. And then the, when the, the ice melt kind of came off it, that water came in through underground pipes that you could visit today. Look at this picture. 
These are the ruins. These were the Roman pipes. They made them out of stone. They buried them in the earth. Look at the picture on the inside. That's not cement. This is actually calcium buildup over the years. Isn't that incredible? So just like you have cold and hot water pipes in your home, Laodicea had cold and hot water piped into their city. The problem was this. Because that water traveled over five miles away, by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold or hot anymore. It was what? Lukewarm, all right? Which is the worst. Uh, have you ever, like, you know, in the middle of the summer, you've, like, you know, you were, you were walking or hiking or exercising, taking a bike ride, and you're in the sun, and you're, like, totally hot. And you're like, oh, you come in the house, and you're ready for, like, a, an ice-cold drink, and someone hands you a glass of room temperature, and you're like, oh, oh, it's awful, right? I want something cold, right? Or if you're out in the cold, right, you're out skiing or you're shoveling snow, uh, and you come into the lodge, you, you don't want cold water, you want what? You want hot, uh, hot tea, hot coffee, hot chocolate, whatever, right? Someone gives you lukewarm water, ah, no good. Now, with that in mind, read Jesus's words to the church of Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to, go ahead. <laughs> right? Now I need a volunteer. Can I get a volunteer here? Right here, come on, come on up. We'll grab you real quick. Give her a hand, jump on. Oh, right up on the stage. What's going on? Tell everybody your name. I'm Emma. I'm Emma, awesome. Emma, how old are you? I'm 12. You're 12 years old. Have you ever had a pastor spit in your face? No. There's a first time for everything, sweetheart. This is, we're gonna, we're gonna bring the Bible to life this morning, okay? You and me, we got a nice poncho here for you. Do you know what you're gonna volunteer for? Yeah. You're like, I wish my sister was up here, okay. <laughs> There we go. That's perfect. And, um, and let's see. I'm actually going to here. Let's just put these on too, okay? Put goggles there. Say hi to mom and dad. This is an Instagram moment, by the way, if you're ready for this, okay? Now, we're going to bring Bible to life. So thank you just for... Come on, come over here. Thanks for taking one to, right there. Thank you for taking one for the team. Are you ready for this? Okay, guys? You guys read the verse out loud, and then Emma and I are going to act it out. So you face me. Go ahead. Ready? Here we go. I need your help. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. That word for spit is actually ahmed, it means to vomit. Do you know that? It's the Greek word for vomit. Todd and Jackie, do you ever have like projectile vomit with Emma? That ever happened? You guys know if your parents, you got a baby, like there's like the little spit up, but then there's like the big one. Emma and I really want you to get this. So we found a YouTube video called 26 Babies Vomit in 60 Seconds, all right? Now, if this kind of thing freaks you out, you got to hide your eyes for five seconds, all right? I'm serious. Like, if you're like a sympathetic vomiter, you need to hide your eyes for the next five seconds, all right? We won't show you the whole thing, just five seconds. Here we go. Are you ready, Emma? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Glorious. Oh, there we go. Okay, I think we got it. We got it. We got it. Right, that's good. That's good. That's good. We got it. We got it. Good job, Emma. We're bringing the Bible to life right here, okay? Are you guys ready? Here we go. I need your loud reading. So because you are lukewarm, I'm about to... Can you give Emma a hand? You yeah. are... Sweet. You did an amazing job. Come on over here. <laughs> we have a towel and a waiver for you to sign. Uh, parents, I'm that. 
I actually have a Starbucks gift card. Get some hot tea or uh, some iced coffee. <laughs> Guys, all fun aside, uh, this is a devastating critique. Jesus actually used this language to create a visceral reaction in the church. He's like, when I look at your, your church and your faith, you guys are lukewarm and you make me want to puke. That's, that's actually what he's saying. It's Ahmed, it's to violently vomit. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, cold water is quenching, hot water is healing, but your faith is lukewarm, it's tepid, it's good for nothing. And the idea here is Jesus is saying, hey, I want my followers to be either hot, like on fire for me, or cold, completely uncommitted, out of the church, but don't give me some of that middle-of-the-road nonsense. And that's sort of weird to think, right? Because in some ways, Jesus is saying an active, committed atheist has more integrity than a lukewarm Christian. Because at least they take their lack of faith seriously. An active atheist has more integrity than a lukewarm Christian because they take their lack of faith seriously. But if you call yourself a Christ follower, you say, hey, Jesus is my creator, my savior, my Lord, my coming king, and it makes no difference to your day-to-day life. Your faith is useless. Just like, I, that makes me sick, that kind of half-hearted witness, because it pollutes the purity of my church, and it creates misconceptions about Christ. I mean, how do you know if you're lukewarm as a Christian? Remember the six signs of a dying church a couple of weeks ago? No passion for prayer. Only pray before, you know, meals, just kind of grace, bless the mess. No ear for the truth. Only want to hear the things that make you feel good. Lack of faith. You, maybe you stopped taking risks for God or you just found yourself just growing lukewarm and drifting back into old habits and patterns. And Jesus is like, lukewarm, Laodicea, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because your half-hearted faith makes me sick. Guys, this is not a letter you want to get, okay? And you may wonder, well, what made Laodicea lukewarm? What was so weak about their witness? Jesus gives us a clue in verse 17. Look at your Bible. It says, you say, I am what? Rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Now, remember, what was Laodicea? known for. We got water, got black wool, health, and what? Wealth, okay? Laodicea was a very rich city. How rich was it? I want you to imagine Naples, Florida. Anybody ever been to Naples? Okay, Naples, beautiful, beautiful city. One of the wealthiest zip codes in America. Second highest uh, proportion of millionaires per capita in our country. Real estate there, crazy. Homes in the tens of millions. Uh, a few years ago, we were visiting my wife's uh, grandfather. He lives in uh, Fort Myers. And so we went, we drove to Naples for dinner. And I never forget, like, when we got there, like, looking around, you know, ritzy homes, fancy boats, high-end shopping, all these tan senior citizens, uh, you know, walking around without a care in the world, Hawaiian shirts and orthopedics. We're going, you know, we're going to dinner at 4.30. Uh, now, understand something, okay? Listen, listen, listen. Be, be, I want to be very clear. Being rich is not a sin. Wealth is not the problem. The problem is the attitude that wealthy people sometimes adopt because of their financial independence. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need what? A thing. I don't need anything. I don't even need God. They'd become complacent, arrogant, self-satisfied. And the Christians there, in fact, check this out. In 60 AD... Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. The whole city was leveled. 
But the Laodiceans were so rich and proud of their financial independence that when Rome came and said, we will help pay to rebuild your city, they said, no, we will pay for it out of our own pockets. In other words, we don't need any help. We don't need a thing. We don't need Caesar. We don't even need God. You ever notice something? When do you feel really close to God? Typically, it's not when things are going well, right? It's not when like, hey, life is a success. I got a great stable job, a good income. The kids are healthy, got all the gadgets. It's when things are falling apart that we actually lean into him. It's when a health crisis happens or one of our kids is in trouble, right? We lose our job or our marriage needs help. Then we're like, Jesus, I need you. It's when things are out of our control that we recognize our true condition, which is spiritual poverty. I got nothing without Jesus. That's how God sees us. This is our true condition. We have nothing without Jesus. And it's typically at that moment that we become acutely aware of our brokenness and no illusions about our need for God's mercy. But the Laodiceans, they had material blessings, so they assumed, well, we got spiritual blessing too. And Jesus says, no, 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 not so fast. Look at verse 14. But you do not realize that you are, let's say the words, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. (laughs) Devastating words. Devastating assessment of this ancient church. And although these words were written 2,000 years ago, I think this message is so relevant to you and me. You know what Jesus is saying to the, the church in America? He's warning us that blessing blinds. Can you say that with me? Blessing blinds. Material blessing, while it can be a gift from God, can become a curse if we're not careful because it blinds us to our true need for Christ. Blessing is a blessing until it becomes a curse. The first thing to go when we are successful at work, life is going smoothly, is our sense of dependency on Christ. I'll be, I'm not, again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'll be the first to admit. You know when my prayer life like goes off the rails, like just totally goes to pot on vacation? <laughs> Ever have that? I go on vacation. I'm like, I'm not Pastor Tim, man. I got my toes in the sand. I got a drink in my hand. Life is good. And I don't feel this burning. Like I got to get on my knees and pray and the Lord, I need, I'm like, I got this. <laughs> See, as humans, we develop this false sense of security. That was the cardinal sin of Laodicea. Their self-sufficient attitude, I got this, I don't need God. See, it's not a sin to be rich unless it makes you poor in faith. Blessing blinds. And if you're not careful, success can just warp your perspective. And that's why Jesus says over and over, persecution is a blessing. Remember, the only two churches who receive unfiltered praise from Jesus were the persecuted churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Every other church gets a kick in the batteries from Jesus and all they get, you guys can do this, hold on, because they had no illusion about their need for him. They were literally like, we, we have nothing without Christ. Our wealth is gone. Our influence is gone. Our health is gone. We're being beaten, tortured, and executed. Christ is our strength. He's our hope. If we don't have him, we have nothing. And Jesus is like, yes, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Hold on, let me carry you. Let my spirit give you strength. See, in Revelation, we're confronted with a paradox. The churches that are most blessed are the ones who are persecuted worst. And guess what? The same is true today. Guys, do you know right now what part of the world where the Holy Spirit is moving most powerfully, it's not America. It's not the West. 
It's the East. It's the underground church in China. That's where there's revival. That's where God is moving dramatically in the persecuted church, particularly in Asia. Right now, there are signs, there's wonders, there's miracles. There are thousands of conversions to Christ every day. Did you hear that? Every day, thousands are converted to Christ. In fact, a recent headline in the Telegraph reported that China is on course to become the world's most Christian nation within 15 years. The, look at that. The number of Christians in communist China is growing so steadily that by 2030, it could have more churchgoers than America. Guys, that's a miracle. The People's Republic of China is officially an atheist country. But the underground church movement has exploded because those 1.4 you know, million or billion Chinese, it's a billion, I believe, are seeking spiritual truth that communism can't offer and capitalism can't either. These are not rich Christians. These are poor, persecuted Christians, but they want Christ so badly that they gather together in underground you know, basements and caves just to sing and to worship and to fellowship and pray and, and read from a smuggled Bible. And the Holy Spirit is pouring himself out because they have been forced to live by faith alone. So revival ripples through the church in China, not America. Why? Because blessing blinds. And by and large, the American church is fat, overfed, lazy, and complacent. Can I say that? I include myself in that indictment. I'm not pointing the finger. I got three pointing back at me. Our country, guys, was founded on Judeo-Christian values. But as our affluence and our wealth and our privilege has grown, so has our complacency. And by and large, America acts like it has no need for God until there's a dip in the stock market. Then we want revival. But then back to sleep. Welcome to Laodicea. Jesus says, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> Blessing blinds. So understand, guys, it's not wrong to be rich or to, or to pray for prosperity. But when you are blessed with a good job, steady income, healthy family, nice house, healthy kids, and everyone, the world speaks well of you, it creates this false sense of security and blinds us to our desperate need for Christ. The only thing that lasts into eternity, the love of Christ. So what do you do? Look in verse 18, because Jesus gives them a solution. He says, I counsel you or I coach you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Remember our four historical details? What color clothes did the people of Laodicea wear? Black wool. It was a sign of their affluence. If you were hip, you were wealthy, you were cool, you wore black like Brooklyn. And Jesus is like, white is the new black. <laughs> I counsel you to buy from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. If you remember back to week five in the letter to Sardis, Jesus said, those who walk with me will be dressed in white. Do you remember the white cloths I kind of wrapped around myself to illustrate this for you? In Revelation, the true believers are actually clothed in white robes, which is a symbol of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what has to cover you to get into heaven, to be in the presence of God. The white clothes are a symbol of the radiant purity and perfection of Jesus that you and I put on and cover the blackness of our sin. That's how you become a believer. That's how you're saved. You actually change your mind about your condition. 
See, most of us measure ourselves like, well, I'm a little bit better than Frank. God's not measuring you against Frank. The benchmark is Jesus. And he is perfect and perfectly holy, and we all fall short, including me. And so a switch has to be made. Repentance simply means you change your mind about God. Repentance is a good word. It's saying, God is my father, and he sent his son to die in my place. And on that cross, I get to give the darkness and shame and guilt of my sin. Jesus takes that, and he gives me this, his righteousness. I mean, compared to Christ, guys, even our good deeds, you know what the Bible says? They're like filthy rags. We actually have to admit that even the good things we do are tainted with self-interest. And that's why Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me white clothes to wear. Only Christ lived the sinless, perfect life required by a holy God. So the problem is, is that my sin, your sin, it separates us from God. But on the cross, Jesus takes our sin. He takes our punishment and dies in our place. And when you say, I bow to you, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, he says, I'm going to remove the blackness of your sin and give you gleaming white robes of righteousness. And now you know how God sees you? It's called justification. It means when you receive Christ, God sees you just as if you never sinned. And he loves you just as if you always obeyed. You get all the credit of what Jesus did. That's how you become a Christian. You plead your poverty, say, I got nothing except the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is that a great? Salvation is totally free. The world cannot get this. It's not about good works. It's about grace. Grace covers our sin and opens our eyes. Look, look, look at the last thing Jesus says to Laodicea. He says, I counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So remember historical details. Laodicea was known for its, its water, its wool, its wealth, and its what? Health, specifically eye medicine. They had a school of medicine in Laodicea, and people from all over the region traveled there to treat specifically eye disease, cataracts, glaucoma, blindness. And the ophthalmologist of Laodicea actually invented a world-renowned eye salve to treat people with eye disease. And Jesus is like, again, he's always kind of winking at the church, like, I know you. <laughs> he's like, guess who's really blind to their need for God? Guys, here's some, here's some salve to, to put on your eyes so you can see your true condition. Can you see? You're not rich, you're poor. You're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm. You're not fashionable, you need white clothes to cover your shame. And if Jesus's advice seems harsh, it is. But remember, it's a sign of his love. Look how he closes this letter. It's beautiful. He reminds them, those whom I what? Love. I rebuke and what? Discipline. Parents, you understand this, yeah? Especially if you have a tween or teenager. Eh? When your kids disobey or they're ungrateful or they're disrespectful, you're like, I don't need you anymore. What do you do? You just let them go? Or do you correct them? A parent who doesn't care doesn't correct. But a father or mother who loves and cherishes their child corrects them, disciplines them. And God is your heavenly father, and discipline is a sign of his love. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. This is very hard for us to get our minds around, guys. But the reality is, as hard as it is to swallow, this is a love letter. This is a love letter from a concerned father. In his rebuke, the father says, I, I discipline you because I... I love you, and I don't want my son and my daughter to wander off into disobedience and destruction. So be earnest and repent. There's that word again. 
Change your mind about God the Father. Humble your heart before the Father. Empty yourself out and look at his son who died and bled on the cross so you could be saved. Can I ask, have you done that? Have you personally repented and received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer to become a Christian a long time ago, but you realize, you know what, you've kind of backslidden. You've become lukewarm and you are far from home. Repentance is just the Father saying, come home. Everything's forgiven. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll apologize, I have open arms for you. That's the invitation that Jesus closes with here in Revelation 3. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Guys, at the end of these seven letters to seven churches, where's Jesus? He's standing at the front door knocking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anybody home? Can you open the door? Can I come in? Guys, do you understand this? How ironic this is? Guys, at the end of Revelation 3, where's Jesus? Locked out of his church. He's locked out of his church. How sad is that? He's on the outside looking in. Can I come in, church? Can I? The Christians in Laodicea were Christians in name only. This was a false church. There was no Christ in their life or their church. And guys, there are so many churches across America like this today, dead and dying. Some even have the name, you know, Jesus or Christ in the name or on the building. But the reality, there's no Christ in there. Because as you abandon God's truth and you conform to the culture, the spirit leaves the building. And Jesus is on the outside asking, knocking, will you let me in? There's a famous painting by an artist named Holman Hunt that was inspired by this verse in Revelation 3. It's called Light of the World. Look at it. It shows Jesus Christ at night. He's wearing a crown, holding a lantern. And you'll notice he's knocking on a closed wooden door and it's kind of overgrown with weeds. Keep looking at it. Looks like it hasn't been opened in a long time. Now, if you're an art student, you probably know how to interpret a painting like this. You look for unusual details. You notice anything unusual about the door? Look at the door. It's missing something. There's no handle. The door has no handle. You don't understand what that means. The door can only be opened from the inside. Jesus is an intruder. He says, you have to actually invite me in. I will not force my way in. Your ears have to hear the spirit talking. You have to hear me knocking and you have to open the door yourself. And if you have never done that, you are not saved. You, that's the truth. You have to open the door of your heart and say, Christ, come in, forgive me a sinner, make me a child of God. And so I'm going to give you a chance to do that today, to pray a personal prayer of salvation and invite Christ into your heart. See, this is a very intimate invitation by Jesus to close his letter to you. He says, I promise if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in, and I will eat with that person, and they with me. In the ancient world, eating together was like the ultimate symbol of love and friendship and intimacy. And Jesus says, I promise, I will come in if you invite me, but I won't force my way. You have to open the door. In your small groups this week, you're going to answer this question on a group's guide, page 44. Is God knocking on any doors of your life? Here are some options to discuss. Your beliefs, your habits, 
your friendships, your finances, your marriage or dating life, your home or family, your emotional world, what would it look like for Jesus to enter into that room and dine with you? Guys, I know in this series, the Holy Spirit has been speaking directly to some of you. It's like, it's almost uncomfortable. He's like targeting right in on a soft spot in your heart. But I believe Jesus is here and he's asking some of you today, would you let me into that closed off corner of your life? Because you say I'm your Lord and Savior. So can I have a say about who you're dating? Or, or what you're watching? Can I have a say about your choices that you're making with your money? Or your marriage? Can I be Lord of your whole life? Or is there, is, there, is there a closed off room in your heart that's locked off? You've barricaded the door and you've shut me out. Because here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Do you hear me knocking? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. I'll eat with that person and they with me. I want you to imagine, close your eyes. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart right now and he wants to know, I want to come in. Will you let me in? Will you open the door of your heart? That's how you're saved. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you know you have the hope of heaven and experience eternal life with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To the one who is victorious, Jesus says, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. That's your future. You're going to sit on the throne and rule and reign with Christ. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is the Spirit speaking to anybody? Can you hear? Do you have ears to hear this? Open your heart. If you're lukewarm and you're backslidden, recommit your life to Christ. Make this a moment. If you've never invited Christ into your heart, put a stake in the ground right now and say, today is my day of salvation. I'm gonna to pray to re receive him. That's how I wanna close. I wanna pray our whole campus, all of our campuses. I wanna invite you to pray with me. So would you bow your heads for prayer? Everybody's gonna to pray today. And I'm gonna lead two groups of people in two prayers. The first is gonna be a prayer for lukewarm Christians. Second is gonna be a prayer of salvation for new believers. But first for lukewarm Believers, maybe once upon a time, you prayed a, a prayer to become a Christian, but if you're honest, you haven't been living like one. But this series has been providential in your life. It's God's love letter to you. And it has surfaced areas of compromise. God's opened your eyes to some areas of compromise where you've drifted from his truth or maybe even deliberately shut Christ out of. You have forgotten your need for Christ and today you're coming home. That's a repentance. It's the Father saying, come home. I've been waiting. I see what you've been doing. Come home to my love. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance right now. Just say these words with me. Let's all say them together. Father, I repent. I'm sorry for running away. Forgive me. Forgive me. Make me your child. I'm sorry for going after idols and folly in my own way. I'm coming back to you now. Come into my heart. Search me. Cleanse me. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. I will follow you all of my days. Father God, I pray right now for 
lost children for sons and daughters who have traveled far in their prodigal, but today they're turning and they're coming home. Father, fill them. May this be a moment of recommitment, Father God, that sets them an entirely different course for the rest of their life. It will never be the same. Fill them now with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Next prayer is a prayer of salvation for new believers. So if you're here today and you can't point to that moment, you put the stake in the ground and said, that was the voluntary decision that I invited Christ into my heart. This is that moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation, but I want you to understand what that means, okay? So just open your eyes for for 30 seconds. Becoming a Christian is not complicated. It is as simple as ABC. A means you first admit your sin. I realize sin is not a popular world. It's reality in our broken world, okay? God created you and me for perfection. We have all fallen short of God's perfection. And the Bible says if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. There's no truth in you. So salvation begins by A, admitting your sin, and then B, believing in Jesus. That on the cross, out of great love for you, God the Father dealt decisively with your sin once and for all by sending his son, Jesus, to die in your place as your substitute. So Christ's death was for you. Jesus' resurrection was for you. And the Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So B, believe in Jesus. And then finally, C, commit your whole life to him. With your whole heart. This is not a one-time decision I'm asking for. Today's a day where you're like, I am opening the door wide to my heart. I'm going to live the rest of my life in dependence on my heavenly father. And when you invite him into your life, Christ will put his Holy Spirit. He's going to give you a new power to live. Not perfectly, but with the power of God. And so to follow Jesus, it means you're going to have to let go of some stuff, repent, but you won't be alone. This church, family of God, we are here to help you to love you and follow Jesus together. We're all learning to walk together. Those are the ABCs of how to be saved, to become a Christian or a Christ follower. And now I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of salvation. So would you just bow your eyes one more time, bow your head, all our campuses are praying. If you're ready to trust Christ, would you just, I want you to lift your hand up right now, all right, so I can see you, I wanna pray for you. Praise God for you, people over here. Raise your hand. You won't be alone. Don't be embarrassed. Just, I want, to, I want to pray for you. If you're at a campus, I get it. You, you know, I can't see you, but God sees you. This is a moment between you and God. So just raise your hand. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. Don't ignore him. Open the door right now. Anybody else? Don't be embarrassed. You won't be alone. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. All right, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer right now. So let's say these words together. I'll say them out loud, and then you repeat them after me, all right? Church, let's actually all pray it together so no one feels alone. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Today, I invite you to be my Savior. I open the door of my heart. Jesus, come in. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. That you were raised to life for me. Bring me to life too. Take possession of every area. I make you my Lord and Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen.